You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, brought to you by Starburst Magazine. And for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who, because that's what we do. I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. Hi, I'm Simon. Hello, I'm Mark. And this week we're going to do something slightly different. I mean, we always do a theme. And this week, well, because we think you've got to know us by now, we're going to just talk a bit about our memories of growing up with Doctor Who. Yeah. In the hope, really, that it sort of strikes a chord. Not necessarily maybe with your specific memories that you had, although obviously with some of you it'll be the same memories. But in the way you experienced Doctor Who when you were a kid and the kind of the way you m- remembered certain things and the kind of things that stood out. The point at which it gets under your skin. Yeah, and uh, basically, you know, the, uh, years and years ago, there was uh, they published a report on Image of the Fendal, and I remember there was one quote from one... They talked to a bunch of seven- and eight-year-old kids, and these kids were saying... They were asking what they remembered of the episode and how they formed those memories, and they were saying that the result of the test was essentially that the kids didn't remember the story, but remembered moments. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah and so right. that's kind of what we're sort of aiming to get at in this episode. Yeah. Kind of those sort of bits of Doctor Who that really struck home hard when you were a kid and that drew you in to make you into a Doctor Who fan, really. I'm sure it's something that everybody who's listening to this podcast is just going to recognise, really, isn't it? And I reckon uh, that people should, if if you can, guys, if you're listening, just write in and tell us your memories, your first memories of, of Doctor Who and how it got under your skin. Yeah, maybe and, we uh, do a sequel episode yeah, to this one definitely. where we kind of basically spend the whole episode going over other people's memories as well. And, maybe... yeah. and if it comes through as an email, we can read it out anyway, uh, any time. How can yeah. you contact us, JR? Oh, via email address, which is blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. Or by hunting us down on Facebook, we've got a Facebook page, just Blue Box Podcast on yeah. Facebook. Well, you can hunt JR down, but I'd rather you just get in contact with me, to be honest. Oh, hunt me down on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> JR underscore Southall. Oh, you said it without the accent that time. Oh, JR underscore <laughs> Southall. <laughs> yeah, it's the only way it can be said. So, I guess as the oldest person in this room... Yeah, you are. My... I mean, if we're going to do it chronologically... My oldest memory is probably going to be the earliest memory we've got. I mean, the first episode I really remember distinctly was Planet of the Daleks episode six. Not any of the other episodes of that story, oddly enough, but just episode six in the last sort of 10 minutes or so. Because I have really strong memories. I mean, I don't know if you know that story very well. But at the end of that story, there's a scene where they're in the caves 
and it's filled with an army of Daleks, which get, you know, d- absolutely swamped in this ice cano explosion. Yeah, which looks like the inside of an after eight. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> <clears throat> But for but for all the world, the way I remember it is just that they were drowned. Yeah, it's just that the sea came in and drowned yeah, them. Yeah. Oh. And then, and you know, John Nathan Turner famously said when he took over as a Doctor Who producer because he was getting a lot of stick. Doctor Who's not as good as it used to be, and he famously said, "The memory cheats. You remember things from when you were a kid as being better than they really are." Yeah. Mm. And of course, when he took over, there was no home video or anything, and so there are no pirate videos. And so the number of people who actually had access to see old Doctor Who stories were, you know, probably could be numbered on their fingers on one hand. Mm. So he was right, to be honest. He was right, yeah. Actually, luckily, I knew one of those people um, and uh, he got very much in trouble and the the police ended up kicking down his door and he was hiding underneath his bed amongst all of his Doctor Who videos that he'd pirated (laughs) from somewhere. But uh, it's strangely enough, I think... um, the world of Doctor Who, BBC, whoever, they should be thanking people like that, strangely mm-hmm. enough, for keeping it alive and keep keeping that kind of burning desire to see those early episodes um, in the public's eye or in fandom's eye anyway. Well, going back to Planet of the Daleks, yeah. and this is prime example of a memory cheating, I very specifically remember at the end of that story, the Doctor and the Companion and the Thals emerging from this cave and there being this giant ramp down into this jungle and them coming down this ramp and the Daleks emerging from the cave after and gliding down the ramp after them. And, of course, if you see the story, there is no ramp. No. But I very specifically remember that. <laughs> it's, but that's how... It is. Yeah, your, your memory fills in. Uh, fills in the blanks. Of, yeah, that's how Doctor Who's always worked. That's probably one of the reasons why a lot of people who our Doctor Who fans are creative because filling in those blanks is one of the things that your memory becomes trained to do. And it's visceral, isn't it? It's the, the feeling that you first get when you see these things, like the Doctors, uh, you know, arch enemies, the Daleks. When you first see them, either you laugh or you're going to be scared. And I think most of us as kids were scared. I hope, I hope that was mm. a fact mm. that was going on. And uh, Destiny the Daleks, which is now, I've been, you know, ever since I've been getting into podcasting and reading uh, forums and all that, it's one of those ones, it's one of the stories that people really don't like. And actually, as a kid, I really loved it. Oh, yeah. Because the Dalek burst through the tinfoil, sorry, the wall, uh, in that episode. And it scared that absolute crap out of me as a kid. And yeah. it, it left an impression, indelible impression. And that lovely little quip from the Doctor saying, oh, no, you can't, you're the master race, you can't climb up the stairs, was such a clever line. And it's the kind of line I kept with me thinking, yeah, you're right. If they come around my house, I can go upstairs and they're never going to get me. So I, I thought it was great. It was... It's fast forwarding a little bit, but to me, Destiny of the Daleks was a big deal when Davros turned up. Oh yeah. But that, like you say, I, you kind of you don't necessarily trust your memories, and you don't know whether you sort of think I was so young. There's no way I can remember that. But I do remember yeah. Yeah. Genesis of the Daleks, and I, I must have been about four at most. Yeah. But well, I was going to go. Yeah. But I, I, it was a big deal when Davros came back, so I knew Davros from somewhere. Well, I was. So, about 10 or 11 when destiny was on Mm. and i was old enough by that time to appreciate that doctor who was a little bit creaky and some of the douglas adams jokes in that episode it didn't make me smile so much as (laughs) frown but still at the end of the second episode when they find davros 
still I had the shivers down the spine, even mm. as a slightly cynical by that point. But I was going to go back to what you were saying there and say, yes, even though Planet of the Daleks is my first true memory of Doctor Who, I still have like almost a race memory of yeah, things yeah. like the sea devils coming out of, out of the water mm. at the end mm. of whatever episode it was of that story and possibly even going further back you know i'm sure i can remember seeing the autons mm. because that's well, always how, lived how really... old are we each at the well, moment to give us an idea well i was born in 68 so oh, right so i mean so you could say from the age of about five perhaps is where your memories really probably okay. kick in maybe well I, i'm i'm 40 what 41 41 it's a year of birth. <laughs> yeah sorry 71 uh yeah same here if you give a year of birth, people are going to be able to <laughs> narrow that down to what season that was. I'm you were just, born you know in what? season I've eight. I've actually just surprised myself. I don't know how old I am, but uh, never mind. But, but by the time this podcast finishes recording, you'll probably be a little older than you are now. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and yeah, as far as I can tell, my earliest memory is Planet of the Spiders because I vividly, I remember watching it at my grandparents' house because I would go around there on a Saturday. They, they lived in sort of just outside Crawley and I lived in Kent. And uh, yeah, that was all part of the memory of where you were watching it. But I remember Planet of the Spiders vividly because I remember the spiders on their back and just being petrified. Yeah. Um, which means, I, what year would that have been? 70... 74. 74. So I would have been at most three years old. Yeah. But I remember yeah. it vividly and I remember the giant robot. Straight. I, mean, I remember Do you remember the, regeneration. the change between Doctors? I do. I do wow. remember the regeneration. Because a lot of people... I know who were there for William Hartnell to Patrick Troughton, but only just remembering William Hartnell stories. Yeah. Had, didn't until years later find out that they'd actually been watching two different doctors. You just imprint yeah. the doctor that you're used to on the stories that you have vague memories of. A perfect example of that is my memory of the Green Death, because obviously Planet of the Daleks, same season. So my first big memories of Doctor Who are from season 10. And the Green Death, there's a scene in the Green Death where um, Joe Grant is by the window with her back to the giant maggots as they're creeping up behind her. And she's in for it at the end of the episode. But my distinct memory of that is that it's Sarah Jane Smith. Mm. Because by mm. the time I was old enough to realise who the companion was, yeah. Sarah Jane Smith was the companion. So all my memories of Doctor Who were of Sarah Jane Smith, even if it wasn't actually Sarah Jane Smith. How about you, Mark? How old are you? I'm a little born? bit younger than you guys. I was born in 73. Right. Um, so I was only a few weeks old when you were watching the last episode of... Uh, yeah. Planet, Planet of the, of the Dogs. Dogs. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry to... I still love that in. story, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you cannot get past, you know, your earliest stories, the stories that imprinted themselves on your memories, even if they're, like you were saying with Destiny, <laughs> even if they're supposed to be rubbish and you know oh yeah the I've watched it. invisible the enemy with me it's yeah <laughs> yeah I've, really I've, I've watched destiny since and it is reasonably pants but you know my memories still hold and fast it, yeah exactly the same with planet of the daleks i appreciate the fact that it's pretty crummy compared to some of what was going on around it but i still love it what was your I have a, i've got a vivid memory of what jr refers to as the chicken machine in <laughs> City of Death. City of in Death. City of Death. And I think Love I was probably, I didn't quite, my memory didn't quite put it down as Doctor Who. So I had this memory of this guy falling into a machine and, and turning, into, turning a into, a, and into a skeleton. <laughs> and, the, and, the chick, a and, the, and the chicken turned into a skeleton. 
Yeah. And it wasn't till quite some time later that I kind of managed to sort of put that back together where it should be and realize that it was Doctor Who. Uh, but my first story I remember is a bit of a classic. It's uh, Horns of Nyman. Oh, wow. yes. Mm. Our early memories are all of stories that aren't especially well loved. <laughs> oh, aren't no, they? No, not no. quite certain. Not, not quite. Uh, one of them was, uh, I believe, Talon's a Wing Chiang. Right, there was a scene in it outside in the forest with a uh, with a um, a wardrobe that you walked into, and it was like a TARDIS. Are you sure you weren't watching some Chronicles of Narnia? <laughs> I've no idea, but I, I utterly believe that was a scene in Talons, and I've got. It was something di- else that you were watching at the same time. <laughs> it must have been something similar that I ju- yeah. I just mixed up in my memories, and I, I I searched for it and I watched all six episodes and thought, hang on, that that doesn't happen. So there must be in another Doctor Who episode. So I had to watch all thousand million episodes of Doctor yeah. Who in order to try and find there's it. A cabinet in that episode, and I it? couldn't find that very scene. There is a time cabinet in it. Yeah, of course there is. Yeah, but maybe all you did was. But I placed it outside, and I don't know why it was out there. It's just a very strong amount. I yeah. still got it in my head now, and I really want to see what it is that I believe like that me is. But it must placing have been, a ramp in Planet of the Dark. Could have been a dream. You're talking about misplaced memories. Was, um, is that the right sort of time when Duchess of Duke Street was on after Doctor Who? Yeah, because yes. there was a time I cabinet that... in Duchess of Duke Street. I remember that vividly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I just remember getting very confused as a child because of the, the costumes in Talons of Wang Chai. Oh, yeah, okay, and then, yeah. obviously, straight afterwards, Duchess of Duke Street and kind of the whole thing getting blended but mm. I may well, be anyway, wrong you may have Ma- stopped Mark was about to make a comment yes. about misplaced memories and now we've misplaced his comment but if we search <laughs> really hard we might be able to hear it now um, I can't remember who it was that came out with this but I'm sure I was chatting to someone or I heard it on a maybe on a podcast they were talking about going back to what you were saying earlier about not being able to go back and watch those earlier programs at the time reading the target novels yeah and yeah. Yeah. reading um I think it was Death to the Daleks, and thinking, the description doesn't sound right. Tom, Tom Baker doesn't have grey hair. What's that all about? <laughs> yeah. And obviously, because uh, at the age that I was and my sort of contemporaries were, Tom Baker was the Doctor. You know, it completely blew my mind when somebody told me there's been, been other one. Doctors. Mm-hmm. I just didn't, it didn't make sense. I think Target uh... books, although Target books does kind of tie in rather heavily with what we're talking about. I think that's a big yes. enough subject for us to yeah. do another time. It is. So we perhaps try and avoid going too much into Target uh, books. But the Target books certainly well, they do had play, a big they impact. They do play with played a big part. Yeah. Because obviously we all know that they we didn't have repeats and there were no video players in certain, you know, the and early were, 80s. And were, so therefore, something like the Invasion of the Dinosaurs with the scene with the milk Chewy or yeah the beginning the, no the guy it, at the start the football, the, fan. the football fan that's it sorry not yeah. the one yeah that was a great little scene and I I could have sworn I'd seen that in yeah. the actual mm. thing as when I was younger but I hadn't seen it I, I couldn't have seen it I was I was far too young I was two years old but when it, I finally got to see it in fact the other week um, I was bitterly disappointed that well, Huey the you football fan wasn't there one of my favourite stories ever was Terror of the Ortons. And I've yet to watch it. Really? I've never seen Terror of the Ortons. No, that's cool. Oh no! I know, I know. It's mad, isn't it? But the Target novel and the illustrations—that's a know, commentary. The bit right at the end, 
where you've got this massive alien. Oh yeah, up yeah. In the, sky. <laughs> the picture on I the front. I dread to think what that is going to be. Did you get the? There were two different covers on the Target books for that. Yeah, and I the loved the second and, one with the more sort of photographic type painting. Oh, what amazing! Wow. Cover. Yes. No. I mean, that was one of the things I really loved about that book was the cover. Yeah. yeah. I really wanted the Nestine to look like that. I'm sorry, Simon, but uh, oh, well, the Nestine in spirit. Yeah, from we're, space, we're talking about Blumange moment. <laughs> <laughs> but we're supposed to be talking about what we remember um what are the you know what i wanted to get into really yeah. wasn't so much necessarily the first things we remember but the things that really made an impression on us not the first story we remember but the stories that came afterwards mm-hmm. that really sort of pulled us into the program my first terror moment from Doctor Who. I mean, the, uh, Destiny came just after this one, okay? Destiny of the Daleks was the second terror moment of me really being frightened and wetting myself, basically. But the first one, and that was probably my strongest memory and, and true memory as well, was uh, Robots of Death. And it right. was one of the Vok robots um, uh, walking towards the screen with the in- needle glowing red and saying something really nice and pleasant. And I was absolutely so scared. And in fact, I'm trying to think about it. It was 77. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, 77. So I would have been six. Yeah, I remember that scene in the front room with my parents uh, in the living room and my mum and dad watching it and and it was still light outside, I think. And I got up and I kind of went, I'm just going in the kitchen to get a drink. And I went into the kitchen and opened the door and I looked through the crack. I think six is old enough to have. Yeah, but I looked through the crack in the door. Now, why would a crack in a door stop anything from attacking no, you? I well, yeah, no. I did you the have, same thing with I, Genesis. I thought yes, every no, I every episode yeah. of Genesis because it was on at that time of day, and I'd have to at the, as the episode finished, I'd have to go out to the kitchen to get my tea, as my mum was in the kitchen preparing <laughs> tea, and. Every episode of Genesis, I was scared to go in the kitchen in case Davros was there. Yeah, he was. <laughs> you know, making tea with I my do mother. I actively remember hiding, <laughs> literally hid behind the sofa with my sister watching Genesis. Yeah, Genesis was a, a big one for a lot of people. But yeah. I tell you what, I was old enough and, you know, although we've kind of gone over it and you, Simon, had it as well. But the maggots and the spiders, they were the the really big ones. Yeah, if you were yeah. just about old enough to... to think of it, if I was three years old, what the hell were my parents doing? Let me watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, maggots and spiders are the things vividly. that you're scared of anyway. To have giant ones <laughs> menacing characters that you're supposed to identify with or whatever yeah, yeah. on television was just evil, pure evil. From yeah. the... I mean, I all, all this hiding behind the sofa stuff, that's just a load of cobblers. I was, I was only little. I was, a, I was hardcore. I was down on the floor watching the, the programme. And then as it got more and more scary, I'd gradually edge more towards my parents. And then <laughs> by the end, I was up on the sofa with my parents. And but never behind scared. it? No. Oh, never behind it. No, no. Behind yeah. cushions? Possibly, yeah, the really scary yeah, bits, no, yeah. <laughs> I was behind the sofa a mm. few times. And it was mostly with the robots of death, actually, and when the Daleks came on. My stepdaughter was behind a cushion for the empty child. Mm. Do you know? Yeah. I and mean, I book, found that. Creepiest. A cushion and a book. It really was... It wasn't the empty child that scared my son, right? And this has sca- scarred him, actually. <laughs> so I blame Mark Gators for this. Um, it's The Unquiet Dead. And oh, it's right. the opening sequence where the woman's walking oh, towards yeah. the screen yeah. with her oh, eyes yeah, going... Yeah. <gasps> yeah? yeah, the zombie moment. Yeah. Now, creepy. he has had a problem with anything that's got wide eyes. You know, whether it's yeah, pictures... Yeah, I can go with that. Yeah, do you I understand? Can, the bit in Michael Jackson's Thriller where his eyes go big. Right, okay. Freaked me out, big yeah. star. Yours are rather like that, to be yeah. honest, but... 
Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Michael Jackson in general scared me. Yeah, look us up on Facebook. Hu- you'll see a picture of Simon looking yeah. just like Michael Jackson. It was just a hard <laughs> night. I know it was a hard night, Simon. Um, no, but, you know, that, that that is a defining moment for my kid. He's now scared. Well, it, not, not so much now, but he was very much scared of anything with big eyes. It freaked him out. Like yeah. Gollum. I think a lot out. of people are. Um, I think that's a big anything. trigger for a lot of people. It's a distor- the wide eyes. That yeah. in, v, in the original version of V where the woman's mouth stretches. Yes, and she eats a hamster. It's the gerbil or whatever it is. There's yeah. a thing about eyes I love that. because your, <laughs> your eye, your iris, generally speaking, meets your eyelids. And when you're looking at somebody, talking to them and focusing on their face, your iris will, you know, be touching your eyelids. So when your eyes are wider and you can yeah. see all the way around oh, yeah, it, so yeah, you can yeah. see the whites for the whole 360 degrees of the eye, <laughs> that is strange because you do not get that when you're having a conversation no. with somebody. So you're used to seeing eyes where you don't see the whites. Unless you're talking to Tom Baker. Well, it depends <laughs> what you're talking to Tom Baker about. <laughs> Deadly Assassin. I remember the Deadly Assassin quite clearly. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Because of the master. And I tell you uh, what, Deadly Assassin, that first of the two cliffhangers, everybody always says about the second one, the one where he's drowning, the no, man's drowning. It was the train track. It was the train track. Yeah, I remember And that. he's on the train track and he's trapped. And it's such a classic, mm. you know, cliche, but cliches are only cl- cliches because they work, of the, the guy being on the train track, yeah. leg trapped in the train track, can't escape. And then this... Miniature train comes around <laughs> the corner with a guy in a gas mask on it. Right. Freaky. Okay. What, what you've all just done now for me is you've just uh, trumped my robots of death by a couple of stories. And it's actually Deadly Assassin. I just realised now that that very scene you're talking about yeah. is, is, was a scary moment for me. And that made me want to watch Doctor Who again and again. And the reason why it was so in, such a great scene for me is because in Pool Park... I live in Poole, right, in Dorset. They have got a miniature train that goes yeah, round and yeah, round yeah. and round. And I went there as a kid a lot. And my God, every time I went down there after that, I was looking for the bloke in the gas mask. Um, well, and you, you could walk on the track, you mm. see. And I was thinking, that's why the, the maggots and the Fantastic. spiders were so, you know, worked so well because... They are the kind of things that you would... And this is why the Autons worked so well as well, of course, years before. When Doctor Who touches on things that you can see in everyday life and that you will meet, and not to the extent where, you know, Susan pulls a pair of scissors in The Edge of Destruction, Mm -hmm. something like that. That's every day for me. But, you know, things that you can come into contact (laughs) with in everyday life with that twist that turns them into, you know, Doctor Who villain. Well, Moffat does it again in Blink, doesn't he, with his statues? Same yeah, sort of yeah idea. absolutely. Mm. Well, it's yeah, all through works. Russell T. Davis, mm. just in the same way as it's all through Barry Letts. Yeah. And those so two... somewhere there are adults much younger than us who are scared to death of Bertie Bassett, then? Yes, presumably. <laughs> yeah, or the candy man, as we like to call him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but very definitely the statues and the shadows. Stephen Moffat loves that, doesn't he? He loves taking something yeah, that's yeah. ordinarily quite scary anyway, scary but normal, and putting that twist on it to make it scary yeah. and deadly. Vashtar Narada to me was a, was a bit of pants, really. I mean, I like the idea that Piranha... Oh, I love Piranha's hiding in shadows. Yeah, I like the idea, but I don't think it was executed very well. You, uh, you need a haunted house if you're going to have scary shadows, for goodness sake. Not a library in the, the future bit, bit, that's the all very bones, bright. brilliant. Chicken bones. Chicken. You're getting back to chickens again. Chicken leg. I think one of the ones oh, he yeah, tapped into good. really well, certainly thinking back from my memories of being a kid, was 
in um, the Madame de Pompadour episode where the robot's under the bed. Yeah. And if you've watched something really freaky that scared you as a kid... Robot's under the bed, cracks in the wall. Yeah. If you really want to be scared, though, Mark, watch Poltergeist. (laughs) Because it's got a clown under the bed. (laughs) No! Oh, Poltergeist has got the freakiest scene ever from when I was a kid with the doll on the bedside table. And the kid keeps looking up and the doll's just sitting there. And then, like, the fifth time the kid looks up and the doll's changed position... You don't see it move. Ooh. Weeping angels. Mm, yeah. You don't see it move. But instead of facing towards the window, it's now facing towards the kid. And do you know something, right? The Waltons, right? And this is a <laughs> program you would never expect to dabble in supernatural and occult. Did that once when one of the children had a birthday party, adolescent, went upstairs. Uh, one of the picture frames moved and then she went to bed and she was looking at the doll. And it changed three times and then a stone oh. came through the window. It was about a poltergeist, basically. And, and, it'd be, and I thought, this is the wall. It scared me forever, that episode. I got well, I'm so, surprised. So, so That's pe- so petrified. freaky. That's definitely what Moffat was trying to tap into mm, with um, yeah. the Weeping Angels there. Yeah. Well, I think he and missed the trick by making it the statues. Because nobody has a statue in their bedroom, but everybody's got like a little toy in their bedroom. You just make it a toy, and that brings that twist so much closer to home, doesn't well, it? You're an evil man, Mark Gatiss just touched on it, didn't he, with the uh, pig dolls? Yes. Yeah, it has now. But that it didn't work. See, it didn't, yeah. Nah. Because he didn't do the... Transformation. That, that's something that freaked yeah, me that was, The transformation. No, that was pretty creepy. Yeah. The was pig good. dolls themselves look good as well, actually. But yeah. I just think oh, that the pig doll the story... toy. Brilliant. Yeah. Really? I'm yeah. Oh no, I've got a peg doll toy and it's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> but it in the peg doll story, you know, they're in the dollhouse and the peg dolls are there. It's you know, that toy sitting on the kid's bedside table mm. that moves I'm not sure I, when yeah. the kid's not looking. Yeah. That was very freaky. Simon's looking very uncomfortable here. Well I was old enough when I saw Poltergeist to know better <laughs> because that film didn't come out till like I was about thirteen or fourteen. So I wasn't of the that impressionable seven, eight-year-old age. But those, those things, that scene still has the power to freak you right out. Yep, absolutely, totally. And Doctor yeah. Who does that from time to time. It does, now and again, yeah. It does. And Doctor Who's on at like seven o'clock, or back then, half past five on a Saturday night. So at what point did we become kind of fans of the programme? Because that that that's going back right to you know when it, yeah, when I was scared of the Vok robot that didn't make me a fan. It made I can me just pinpoint wanted, this yeah? absolutely, and it goes back to the Target books. Right, the Target books were what took me from somebody who was just yeah, a actually, person think, who watched Doctor Who every week to somebody who bought into Doctor Who every month. Was it that one came out or something like that? Yeah, but you've got to remember at the same time that by the time you find the Target books, there's already a bunch out. So yeah. you know, one week I found the Target books. And then the next week, I went back and got another. And for the first three months, I bought a Target book every week. Right. So it was buying Doctor Who magazine or Doctor Who Weekly or whatever it was well, that at didn't, the time. For me, obviously, that okay. didn't come out until Target later. books, fanzines, that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, Simon. I guess fanzines is later, isn't it, when you're older? Mm. Well, did you start buying Target books in the early 80s? What was it that got you? I used to, to be in from the library. So at one point, I was reading far more Target books than than watching the series, to be honest. Right. I think we probably all were, to be honest. Mm. I think there's a lot of children that got into reading through Target books. Absolutely, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. Although, again, I was going to yeah. save this for another <laughs> yes episode. Well, so. I was I was very much into Marvel comics. So, obviously, when Doctor Who Weekly came out, it was like the perfect combination for me. So, I've still got issue one at home. You know, oddly enough, I 
And even though I didn't really know many of the films, but just because I was that kind of person, I was in local newsagents one day when I was, I have no idea, 12 maybe, and saw on the shelf this uh, Hammer monthly magazine. And I knew some of the Hammer films, but obviously not many. (laughs) But it just looked exactly the kind of thing. And so I picked it up, and inside was mixture between features and this being the 1970s they weren't that in depth they were out of my depth and cartoon strips as well based on the sort of hammer concepts mm, mm. and the the weird thing about that is that there's this i can't remember the name of the magazine but it's something like hammer house of horror obviously like the tv series but that was Deskin's first foray into that area mm. Des skin of course then went on to do doctor who weekly which became doctor who monthly and doctor who magazine and Des skin of course was the guy who brought out the very first starburst hey! and is now you know the honor- <laughs> honorary editor-in-chief so is, you know yes so here we are talking on behalf of starburst Sorry, magazine very odd. but that's the thing as soon as i got the hammer one then i would go back to the same news agent looking for other things similar and a few weeks later, it was when I very first saw a copy of Doctor Who Monthly. I'd missed out on the weeklies, hadn't mm. realised it'd been around. But as soon as it went monthly, that's when I found it, and that's when I started buying it. And that's the and although the Target books is probably what took me into... Because this is the thing, when it's on telly, and you're just watching it, you're not active in the relationship between you and the programme. When you buy the Target book that's when you become active in the relationship. Mm. So I would say that's the tipping point from when I became, from when I developed from a viewer, albeit a committed viewer, to a fan because I was buying into the program, as I put it a few minutes ago. Mm. And so the magazine definitely, as the next step up, is when you go from somebody who's sort of buying into the program, but at the first level, to somebody who's now buying into the program on multiple levels. Yeah, and, and regularly as well. Yeah, and that's an... You know, yeah, once a month with the magazine yeah. and the books But that's as well. an important development to go from buying the first thing, even if it's several Target novels and on a regular basis, to actually buying something else as well actually means you're committed to the idea and not just that first level that you're buying, the Target books. And do you know how excited I was to be uh, met by a couple of uh, guys older than myself at school Okay, who also liked Doctor Who, right, and uh, had access to the photocopier because they were sixth formers. Yeah. And uh, I'd bring in my Doctor Who magazine and say, can you photocopy this for me? For no reason, just because I had a photocopy, a double picture of Tom Baker. I was really ex- <laughs> Oh, wow, I've got two pictures, exactly the same, one some crappy black and white, but I was really excited about it. So I could colour in Doctor Who's face. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's how, you know. My school, there was a guy whose uncle was Dave Martin. <laughs> Was he really? Yeah, so, um, you know, the nephew of the guy whose dog K-9 was based on. Oh, right, right. Dave Martin and Bob Baker had Mm. written K-9 because I think Dave Martin's dog had just died, so they wanted to sort of immortalise that dog by putting it into Doctor Who. Originally it was written just for the one story and they decided to keep it on. But yeah, Dave Martin's nephew was at my school, so 
he wasn't a Doctor Who fan, but he knew that I was, so he used to take the mick out of me relentlessly. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was the start of getting taken the mick out of you because you're a Doctor Who fan as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, there was that, but that, that could be another show as well, I reckon. Well, that came le- That Didn't that always come <laughs> later? Because, I mean, we're all old enough to have known Doctor Who in the 70s yeah. when it just was watched by everybody. And it was, yeah, it was cool. I remember yeah. when I was little, my brother is about four years older than me, um, and we were both at the same school. And obviously he was in the much higher year than me. This is a primary school. And uh, Tom Baker was actually coming down to judge a competition. And it wasn't held at our school, if I remember rightly. But they had, it was basically, kids had to design a monster. And um, they came out with this, I remember it now, it's a really bizarre looking, looked a bit like a sort of, red Christmas tree with legs <laughs> and springy arms and big sort of yellow hands. Sounds like the kind of thing Lee would come up yeah. with. It's probably involving <laughs> asterisk. Um, and I remember being absolutely inconsolable because my brother, who watched Doctor Who but wasn't really a fan, got to go and meet Tom Baker. Oh, and no. I couldn't. And there's That's... photos, there's probably still photos at my parents' place of all my brother's year at school with Tom Baker. That's just full regalia. Like, this is when he was. I was ill the well. day the Green Cross Code man visited my school. He was in Doctor Who. He, he was. was. Uh, well, yeah. Was, and obviously, was I was hugely into Star Wars at the time. Hugely obsessed. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I met Boba Fett. Yeah, outside Walco's. He was <laughs> in yeah. Doctor Who. No, no, I just met Boba Fett. He was. And uh, it wasn't the real one, of course. It was just a bloke dressed up, wasn't it? But oh, I didn't, yes. I didn't <laughs> know that as a kid. I, th- I think I'd be disingenuous <laughs> if I said that I was a proper fan from those sort of times. I dipped in and out, I'll be honest with you. And it wasn't until the Peter Davison era that I was, a, as you say, a committed watcher. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> or a uh, tape recorder. Uh, you know, get the tape recorder out and record the, the episodes. You can listen to it whenever you want. Did yeah. anybody ever do that? I did not. I did it at my nan's house. And really? I've got great fond memories of the Peter Davison area. Didn't strike me to do that. The Peter Davison era, rather not area. Um, <laughs> Let's leave Peter Davison's area, uh, <laughs> area out of this. No, hanky panky in the yeah. um, <laughs> No, his era, I remember being at my nan's pretty much all that, most of those Saturdays, recording it on a, an old tape recorder, which is still you in the family. did somewhere. listen to them back? Yeah. Oh, a yeah, lot. definitely. Yeah, a lot, yeah. Wow. But it's really interesting because now I look at that era as something quite dull, actually. There's lots of dull stories. It's very slow. But at the time, I was so excited just to, you know, to press play and listen to it all over again. Do we think then, moving on, that, because we've all sort of grown up with the 70s when Doctor Who was probably at its most classic. Mm. I think most people would agree the 70s was Doctor Who's heyday. Do we think that, the children of the 80s had the same reaction? Well, in effect, me and Simon, I suppose our children of the 80s, the early 80s, the very early Slightly 80s. Slightly older then. So, I'm yeah. talking about people who were five in 1985. Oh, I don't like know. We'd have to ask them. Well, <laughs> we yeah, got, well, yeah. Write, write to us at blueboxpodcast.com yahoo.co.uk and yeah. tell us your memories of growing up with Doctor Who in the 80s. Yeah, does that, does anybody have a frightening moment from Sylvester McCoy's era that uh, gave you nightmares for a very long time? Yeah, because, I mean, there are there are moments where you sort of think, yeah, that must have resonated. Because uh, the, the bit in Dragonfire where the guy's face melted. Oh, yeah, that was cool. That was really good. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine being like five when you, fir- when you first yeah. saw that, when it was broadcast. Yeah. I think, wasn't it the guy who did the special effects on Raiders of the Lost Ark did that one as oh, well? Oh, is it? I think so. It was a bloke with a hairdryer. 
<laughs> yeah, the guy Just with the hair the set- dryer from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. With the setting <laughs> a bit too high. <laughs> Melt my face. Actually, of course, I know the answer to that question because of editing You and Who, which is a oh. book full of people's memories of growing up with Doctor Who in the 1980s. Listen, I, I, you've got a book, have you? I, oh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I don't think I'm averse for, to you talking a bit about that, actually. Tell us about that. Well, of course, actually, that ties in perfectly with this program because I've put together a book called You and Who, which probably will just about be available by the time this podcast goes out, in which, and it's for charity, people have basically just written the stories of their memories of getting into Doctor Who. And oddly enough, the thing about that book is I think there are more memories of the 80s than there are of the 70s. Oh, interesting. Just because of the age of the people who obviously ran with the idea and bothered to write in. Mm. So there's a lot of stories in there. They're not all about how I first got into Doctor Who. That's not wholly what the book's about. But, yeah, essentially that's a book of people's memories of growing up with the programme. And, yeah, there's a lot in there about the 80s. Does anybody talk about the Weetabix cards? You know it's mentioned, I do yeah. believe, in the first volume. There's another volume as well coming okay, out. Okay, and I'm going to ask you around the table now, does everybody know which characters were on those cards? Oh, yes. Come on, then. Sea Devils. Oh, my goodness. You want me to actually say? I do, because the listeners may not know this. Yeah, but the listeners, if they don't know what's on the cards, have no idea what you're even talking about at this point. Well, we'll have to explain what Weetabix is then, don't we? (laughs) 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 JR, what's Weetabix? In the (laughs) 1970s, when Doctor Who was still fairly nascent in its approach to merchandising... Good word. They licensed Weetabix to give away two sets. One was in 76 and one was in 75, I think. Oh, really? They didn't come out at the same time then? No, the two sets were a year apart. Each set, and you would get these cards inside the Weetabix packet, and each set, four cards, which was um, the first set was four-figure cards, and the second set was three-figure cards and a code card and there were six sets of these four cards so in each set you had 24 different cards to collect and um oh no we had this brilliant thing with the first set we got a packet of weetabix one weekly shop and there were no cards in it so my mother wrote to weetabix and they sent us the whole set oh that's typical you isn't it (laughs) yeah but then we moved house and they got left behind so i I don't have those weetabix cards anymore that was a darth vader moment wasn't it yes (laughs) i have managed to get the second set through ebay but i'm but if anybody out there is feeling charitable you know where to find us i don't have that first set of weetabix cards anymore blue box podcast at yahoo.co.uk but the second set, are we really going to bore listeners with this? I think it's important because it's memories. Okay, it's... the second set was six sets of four cards. Okay. And they were divided into two in a cave setting, two sets of four That's in a cave right. setting, yeah, yeah. two sets of four in a desert setting, yeah. and two sets of four in a just regular sort of field setting. Or like the TARDIS interior. No, the TARDIS interior wasn't on the Weetabix card. That was on the back of the pack. Back of the pack, see? They did back of the packs as well then, guys. Yeah, you had a back of the pack. The first the first issue in 75, the back of the pack, they were games, um, right. like board games. And then the second time, they were um, little scenes that you could put the cards into to play. Or was it the other way around? I think it was probably the other way around, actually. 
We're talking way too much about Weetabix cards. I think, I think the big point with it know. is it's the same as the Target novels that you relied on these things to understand and know about the history of the program. Yes, yeah. and this is this was my point. I, don't, I think we said this off air about the gel guards. They're, yes. they're on one of the Weetabix, you know, things, and um, they were re- they're really colourful, by the way, aren't they? They're just so. You know, what's, what's the description of the colour that it's almost like someone's vomited all over <laughs> a packet of Weetabix? Psychedelic. Psychedelic, that's the word. But, um, you know, they... they They're you, like little cartoon drawings As of a the kid, characters. you look at every line on those cartoons. It's like when you mm. look at the patterns on the wall or on the carpet and you remember them as a kid and you, you follow them with your finger or whatever. Maybe it's just me <laughs> being a bit of a loser. But, um, <laughs> you know, I remember them vividly and I, remember, I was trying to work out how they talked, how they moved. And, of course, once you do see them in the three doctors i was bitterly disappointed but um oh the weirdest it, thing about it the imagination me, was they did a set of three from right is everybody ready for this one of the sets of cards the three character cards and the code card was a monster of peladon set alpha centauri no 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 alpha centauri <laughs> i'm sure there was a cut out there was there, yeah. no not on one of the cards no, it yeah. was on the first series of cards from 75, but not oh, in 76. Okay. Oh. The 76 series. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now you are getting into it too much. <laughs> well, the second, it was... <laughs> Agador was one, right? Yes. And the other two you'd think oh, you would be... I remember the Agador one, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other two you would have expected to be an Ice Warrior and Alpha Centauri. That'd be good. But the other two were oh. Vega Nexos and Blore. Who's Vega Nexos? Right, Vega Nexos <laughs> is this little sort of mole character who dies in the first episode. And Blore, <laughs> and Blore even... is just a guard. Was it Arcturus? <laughs> was another one, wasn't it? Was it Arcturus? No, Arcturus no, wasn't. Arcturus. It was just Blore and Vega Nexos. It was two minor <laughs> characters who had hardly been in the story. But this this was the thing, wasn't it? That the, the people merchandising, they probably didn't know or care. No, I remember... I mean, they did a similar thing with Star Trek The Motion Picture when that came out, and they had cards of aliens that you didn't even see on screen Yeah, yeah properly. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's like the Star Wars figures when they really got into it. Horus, man. And they were just putting in everything that Snaggle had been tooth. in the cantina Hang on, Doctor Who's guilty of that at the moment, I've got to say, that they're just putting anything out. Oh, well, not quite, because, I mean, if you look at the end of the world, there are plenty of characters in that that could have been brought out as figures and actually aren't. And I think yeah. disappointingly so. Yeah, no. Because yeah. I think they should go the Star Wars route and, it, you know, Put out all those different things. Mm. There are loads of sort of creature creations in the end of the world, and they'd mm. make great figures. We still haven't had the um, the fish people from Vampires of Venice. No, you're right. Maybe they're too difficult to make. Aren't they? Well, yeah, that does come into it, yeah. obviously. I mean, top trump cards, Vampires. okay, along the same line as the Weetabix cards. I mean, we are talking about us and uh, how, what makes us uh, Doctor Who fans. Those cards were so important again because they were the only window. For Are you me. talking the Annie Oakley? Yeah, top what Trump a bizarre! Cards. I mean, we, but the Top Trump cards, the originals. I waited so long for them to reprint them. Have they? Reprinted Have either them? of you two seen these? I don't think so. I don't know. That passed oh, me by. Okay, They're well, a, please go online. There's it, bound to have been scanned in every single one of them and of course the Weetabix ones are so if you want to yeah, know what we're talking about please go, go and, look and, and have a look and then just indulge yourselves in the kind well, of the world we lived in were set into aliens and enemies so all the aliens the characters from Doctor Who had no not aliens and enemies enemies and friends all the enemies are characters from Doctor Who and all the friends even though Doctor Who obviously has a long history of meeting historical yeah. characters and <laughs> all the all the friends are people like Annie Oakley and 
you know, William yours. Tell and yeah. things like that. They've really never been in Doctor totally Who. Totally bizarre. And actually, there's a great mistake that was made. I don't know if it continued in all of the runs of the of the Top Trump cards, but I think it was Ogrons and Sea Devils had their yeah. names mixed up on the cards. So there's a picture of an Ogron <laughs> and it said Sea Devil at the top and vice versa. I love that. I love that. Boudica was one of the... Yeah, she was. She was a friend of the Doctor, yeah. old Boudica. Now, that Brilliant. is a story. I mean, we... a big finish. Is she? Yeah. I think the Top Trump's probably... Trump, big finish in that respect. Right. So, just quickly, Mark, was it any good? It was all right, yeah. Good, right. Um. <laughs> you know what we haven't mentioned <laughs> two yet? Two-second review. Yeah. <laughs> the point at, well, two things. One, the point at which you realise Doctor Who was a television programme with, you know, sets and actors as opposed to being real. And the other thing is the point at which you fell out of love with Doctor Who. Because right. I think for most people, you sort of, with these sorts of things, you will have a moment of wavering, won't you? So what was the, going around the table, what was the moment at which you first kind of realised that Doctor Who perhaps wasn't, you know, Star Wars with its effects and whatever? For me, it was time flight. Really? Yeah. Mm, yeah. But nothing else in season 19. Kinder, for instance. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with very... Kinder, I think. Cardboard but, jungle. I set. thought it was Kinder, but I'm thinking now it was the first time the master changed in Castro Valva, actually, because it was so rubbish that I just suddenly went, and I, I, you know, I think as a kid I just suddenly went, my bubble was burst. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it was totally. I, I went on about it too much in another podcast, so I won't go on about it now. But I just thought it was a terrible master moment. And so, Simon, you're season nineteen as well, yeah. Mm, yeah, I would have thought so. Wow. Of course, mine is earlier, obviously, being older. But I think it was the... Well, no, it was... I would like to say it's the Ogri in um, Stones of Blood (laughs) because they're just these sort of polystyrene rocks that get wheeled into the room. Can I just say that that, that the moment with the backpackers or hikers, they get killed by the giant fiberglass stones. I I loved that moment as a kid. That scared me a lot. All right. See, for me, it was just... You know, <laughs> a tiny little studio set with the light that was in a place where it shouldn't be, and then this sort of giant polystyrene rock gets wheeled in. No, it wasn't. And it just didn't look threatening <laughs> to me. No, but that was the story after the Pirate Planet, and Pirate Planet was what did it. Really? Yeah, Pirate Planet is one of those stories, and I know I've said before on this show that I love a bit of ambition, yeah. and I love... um you know, stories that bite off more than they can chew and aren't embarrassed to just go for it. And if they fall short, who cares? Because the ambition was there. I mean, we've talked about this and we will talk about it again. But um, Pirate Planet bites off more than it can chew and doesn't quite give enough back. I, I, you Definitely. know, it's Douglas Adams and I love yeah, some I of love the, the ideas, ideas and yeah. some of the yeah. comedy and what have you. I agree. But there's just so much in there that's madness for the sake of madness that doesn't feed there's back to the There's a lot of forgettable moments in that, unfortunately. Yeah. The polyphase there's some was great quite fun. moments as well. <laughs> and the bit, Tom Baker's scene at the end where he does about the planets. How can you, you know, just destroy yes. a planet without even caring about the people on it? Yeah, and he gets really cross. And yeah, spits. and properly cross. And it's yeah. not Tom Baker being Tom Baker cross. It's Tom Baker being Dr. Cross. Yeah, and, that is, and that's great. Yeah, that is very doctorish. yeah. And like actually it. now I love... Bruce Purchase is the pirate captain. Oh, he does yes. my head in. I'm sorry. Does he? Yeah. I like it now, <laughs> but at the time, Mr. Fabulous. Oh, him. <laughs> oh, 
please. Mr. Fibulu. The parrot, though, Polyphase Avatron. That was that was kind of cute. It was I such loved a it. poor special effect. I loved though. it as a kid. When you're old enough to realise <laughs> that it's a special effect as opposed to a real thing, yeah. it was just an embarrassing special effect. And canine and the parrot have a bit of a fight. Yeah, but it's just one special effect <laughs> and a really badly motorised <laughs> pretend dog. Stop it! You're ruining I everything. I know. I'm sorry, but that's how it was when I was that age. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But did anybody waver? Oh God, yeah. I mean, yeah. Was, yeah. did anybody ever stop watching Doctor Who? Yeah. I mean, deliberately make a choice not yep. to watch. Yeah, I stopped. Well, come on, I'll come back to you in a come second, Lee, because Simon seems to be trying to. Yeah. He's just on the edge of remembering. That. I kept. Yeah, I, I kept faithful through Colin Baker, and then Sylvester McCoy came back, and again, I, I tried to stay faithful, but I think I missed a few. I was the it, same. It, it, it didn't. So Sylvester for you as well. Yeah, I, I watched Time of the Rani. It's really yep. hard to and justify in your head. With Yeah. Because actually, yeah, yeah, Sylvester McCoy. I... That that was the moment for me as well, Mark. Time in the Rani stopped me watching it. I actually went, I'm not watching this crap anymore and turned it off. But and I... I didn't watch it until Curse of Fenric. Mm. And then wow. I'm like, oh, this is really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's say, yeah. the point at which it changed. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. was the story right after Time in the Rani, of course. I do like Sylvester McCoy, <laughs> but that just... It just really put me off. I think I was at that age as well where yeah. it was almost like I was kind of growing out of it. And it was, you know, I, I tuned in for um, Remembrance. Yeah. Yep, I remember watching that and thinking, no, this oh, is bad. Yeah, yeah, no, I did, I did watch that. You're right. Mm. Yeah, that, I did watch that too. But yeah, Probably because the Daleks trailered on TV. It was it was the effect. They trailered the effect of somebody getting shot and it looked really mm. cool. Mm. I thought, oh, okay. I give think it a I go. made, yeah, I definitely watched Dragonfire because I made a point of watching. Oh, I think Dragonfire last episode. kind of hyped up a bit <laughs> as being for the people who had perhaps lost a bit of faith with. Delta yeah. and Abandonment in Paradise Towers. I think Dragonfire, the word on the grapevine was that it was going to be more trad. Yeah, so it was people... brilliant, wasn't it? Where he put himself in danger by crawling over a cliff and hanging by his umbrella in a comedy fashion. Well, we're going to get <laughs> to that. <laughs> we're going to do Sylvester McCoy in a few weeks and I'm going to talk at length about that cliffhanger. Thank you. But not yet. <laughs> I look forward to it. There's a cliffhanger. Now, Colin Baker... I stopped watching. I did not watch, and there's my embarrassing ambition, if you like. I did not watch the trial of Time Lord. Mine on was transmission. Right. Mine was a dip in and out. I gave up a little bit through Colin Baker's. T- I think Time Lash kind of put me off, um, but not entirely because I kind of thought, well, you know, if it's on, I'll watch it. But it didn't put me off entirely like Time of the Rhine did, where it was just like, that's it. I'm not watching this again. Well, I we'd gone the hiatus for eighteen months, and I was then twenty, coming up. No, eighteen. I was eighteen. Yeah. And it's just, it was coming back and it was going to be 14 episodes long. And they'd already said that um, Bonnie Langford was going to be in it. And they'd yeah, said it was going to be, yeah. all, all 14 episodes were going to be taking place in a trial room. And, you know, it was going to be Time Lords putting the Doctor on trial. And I just, you know, the series was on trial. I didn't want to see it being on trial in the series as well. No. And I just couldn't Yeah, so you're give... far too aware of the outside and the inside. Yeah, I just couldn't give 14 weeks worth of wanting to watch Doctor And the, oddly enough... I'm, I... I'm glad you used that phrase. I thought you were going to come out with something else for a minute. <laughs> I just couldn't give... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, oddly enough, the thing that brought me back was when it was pointed out to me that actually there were discrete stories within the trial. Mm. And I came back. I I didn't 
miss all the trial. I watched a bit of the first one and a bit of the second one. I just caught bits of episodes. But the first one I came back and actually started watching was, oddly enough, the one which Bonnie Langford was in for the first time. And that was from the start of the Vervoid story. Mm. And actually, I liked that. And the Vervoid story was more traditional Doctor Who. And it was a story. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, because the last two years of Doctor Who, and in fact, the last five years of Doctor Who hadn't had stories. And it was just a story. The opening sequence where it, um, (laughs) you know, where the camera rushes over the the giant spaceship, which I can't remember now, and the the TARDIS spins down into it. And it's got this great piece of theme music as well yeah it was yeah, cinematic yeah. suddenly yeah. i went ah okay mm. they've finally sorted doctor out it's yeah, the, that it's is got a great a, shot it still stands up well today it does and i had a you know a tingle down my spine and i just thought this is gonna be i great. remember vi- videoing yes. it and watching it over and, and over, over again again yeah, yeah i did exactly the same but then the yeah. very next shot is colin baker stepping out of the tardis in a set that's only 10 yeah. feet wide yeah. exactly yeah. into a trial room which was you know had a great story started off with the vervoids i really like that but we kept having to go back to the trial room and i was thinking oh i can't deal with this so after the vervoids i thought i'll give the next one a try which was mysterious planet i think no no vervoids was the third one oh, was mysterious it the planet one? was yeah. the first one. Oh, i didn't see that then see, my biggest given that one. problem miss being the age i was um I, it was i've said before in previous podcasts about when we do the jnt episode my biggest issue was casting all the way yeah bonnie langford and then Mysterious Planet, uh, it was it Joan Sim from yes. the Carry On yeah, films? Yes. Couldn't stand her. <laughs> Just thought she was awful. I've watched it recently and it was a lot better than I remember it. But all the way, it was just irritating people being cast all the time. Ken Dodd. Yeah. Yeah, it's ah. blows bring up. But I like Ken I Dodd. I like Ken Dodd. No, Dodd. I really, oh, yeah, no. He's, he's the best thing. And if he'd have been... <laughs> he delves from the Bannerman I've said far. this before, actually. If he'd have been a villain and if he'd have played him reasonably straight, I think he'd have done quite a good Nothing job. Nothing against yeah. him as a person, but I just... Didn't see him as being in Doctor Who. Just not, not in that. Character. And of course, you've got Nicholas Definitely. Parsons, which oh, gives the lie to the really whole miscasting well. thing. Yeah. Nicholas Parsons was brilliant. I thought he was great. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it undermined the whole thing. But at that age, at that age, what I undermined what? Yeah. Take it seriously at all. Nicholas Parsons. You didn't like Fenric. Nicholas Parsons in at the time. Yeah, because I didn't like. Now Nicholas I can look Parsons. at him as an actor, but at the time, I mean, seriously. As kids, we we had grannies that loved Nicholas Parsons. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so the idea of having him, who did what did he do? Celebrity Squares. I can't remember what he did now. He did um, um, some game shows. Anyway, I can't remember. They're quite not Mister and Mrs. Was he it? didn't. No, no, it, no. That was Derek Bates. It will come it? back. Sale of the Century. Sale of the Century. Yeah. Oh, it was. All yeah, oh, right. Yeah. So he and was known for that. You see, so for, to to bring him in, mm. in quite a serious part, actually. Mm. I was like, oh, God, I'm not going to watch this. But that I did watch it, and I was pleasantly surprised. But the obverse of that is, back in 1965, you had Peter Butterworth yeah. as the time meddler, meddling monk, mm. and he would go on to become famous for the Carry On films. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously the other way around. But what, he was my point being he was. that... He was very good. Yeah, my point being that, just because you're famous for one thing, that's something oh, different... Oh, no, not at all. ...doesn't not at all. mean I've, you can't... I've, I've read online the little that I do some real criticism of comedy actors being cast in Doctor Who, but I don't well, have an issue the, with it. Like, yeah, I, I suppose the JNT, you know, pantomime. Oh, you know, yeah. most of Doctor Who did feel like a pantomime, and I it hated did. pantomime. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah, and most kids grow out of it pretty quickly. Pantomime, and that's what it felt like. The whole program was too colourful. Mm. It was too, you know, the the lighting was. Awful. The stories weren't particularly good. The Doctor was abrasive and not necessarily brilliant at the time. I, I 
no, I actually disagree. I quite like Colin Baker. And his coat was horrible, you know, so... Mm. And he wanted a dark coat and he didn't get it. So J&T's decisions, I personally think throughout that era, killed off a lot of the people that I really liked. Mm. <laughs> they didn't kill off the people, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it stopped people watching it that had followed it for so long. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. there's a lot to be said for J&T on another podcast sometime in the future where Mm. we can come back to this subject and really get into depth with it. Bless him. (laughs) Because, of course, you all know that none of my problems are with J&T from that era. No. No, No, we've we've had a few mentions of Mr. Saywood. Yeah, yeah, Chibnall and Saywood bashing. That's what's going to happen one day. And a bit of Bidmead as well. A bit of Bidmead. Don't don't forget Chris. Yeah, I've got such an issue with Bidmead, but... <laughs> this being the man who wrote Legopolis, which I reviewed recently and thought was quite good, actually. Yeah, I was oh, quite surprised. Oh. Better than Castro Valva. Oh no, I think the other way around. Gilden <laughs> oh, Bennett. It's the same old thing. If you can dip in and out of these things and have episodes like it, that are so different. Which That's is the, the nice thing, thing about well, the new series. Well, actually, now is that you can go back and sample bits of the eras you didn't like so much. Yeah. And you don't have to watch the whole lot in one go. Back then, when you were living through... If you didn't like season 18, I didn't like season 18. And back then, you had six months of it, and you kept hoping it would get better. And every now and again, you'd get an episode, like the first episode of Full Circle, when you thought, oh, thank God, they finally like, finally keep, done something. Keeper of Traken. Got it back to where it should be. Such a... But then the second episode of Full Circle kicks in, and it's just rubbish. Yes. And, you know, every time it looked like it was going somewhere, it kicked you in the teeth. And you had to live with it for six months. And then six years by the time you got out of that. Six years? By the time you got out of that cycle of poor storytelling in Doctor Who. From season 18 to season 23. Wow. That's a that's a huge amount. There were some nice. Well, what I'm saying, the difference is now you could go back and revisit specific stories on DVD. Yeah. And you revisit stories from other eras in between. Mm, mm. So you can enjoy the good things that were in those stories yeah. without just having a long cycle of having the same problems week in and week out. When you've got the same problems week in and week out, it becomes very hard, very soul-destroying trying to find the good bits that you do like mm, because mm. you know there's always going to be a lot of things yeah. you don't like. You're working hard to like a program. That, that is... really you should just love unconditionally. Yeah, exactly. It's silly, isn't it? Whereas, you know, as I say, if you can watch Full Circle one week and Talons of Wang Chang the next and, you know, Dalek Invasion of Earth the week after that, you can take all the good stuff out of Full Circle and not be so depressed with the bad stuff. Do you know, I watched uh, I watched the other day the Mandrills. Which one's that? The, or the uh, Nightmare of Eden. Nightmare of yeah. Eden. That was quite a strong one for me as a kid. I really enjoyed the idea of having a, a giant video screen you could walk into. That yeah, was like a, yeah. an yeah, amazing yeah. dream for me that you could do that. Uh, and they come out, and I've watched it for the first time in donkey's years and did a, a an immediate commentary mm. without listening to it or, or listening to the music. Just I thought I'll talk about it blind with uh, subtitles at the bottom and see how it goes. And there's a lot of me just laughing through and going, oh my God, that's bad. That's rubbish. That's <laughs> crap. Um, but... And when the mandrel actually turns up at the end, I I remember as a kid thinking that was quite scary. Mm. Not massively, but quite scary. But I just laughed out loud and thought, oh, I want to give him a hug. Isn't he nice? Isn't he lovely? <laughs> yeah. Had really good feet. But it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's Nightmare right. of Eden but was it, one of those stories for me that I was so obviously crap 
Twist. crappily made. Mm. And yeah, well, I, I quite like that watching it back now. It's quite a strong story from that. There are some nice moments in it. I, I don't think it's that bad. You know, it's got a good, yeah. It was really interesting to see the it's guy got struggling a with bad drug addiction and well. quite cheap looking sets, but it's got an interesting story, and the characters keep it alive. Yeah. In and those... some incredibly camp security guards. Yeah, but yeah. actually, <laughs> that a little bit of comedy like that, a little bit oh, of yeah. over the top like that, is what. Because, I mean, Doctor Who in four times 25 minute episodes. And, you know, you do notice these things. The, the top of every episode, all the characters start talking about what happened last week, just in case anybody in the audience <laughs> yeah. didn't remember yeah. or didn't see the previous weeks. And that happens a lot yeah. in those. And, you know, in 100 minutes of television, there's often only 50 or 60 minutes worth of story. So to bring a bit of colour and a bit of life in by having a couple of comedy characters, that to me is not a sin, the opposite of a sin. Did you have a problem with Chloe Ashcroft when she was in Doctor Who as well? Because I remember her being... Yeah, she was the... Resurrection of the Daleks. Resurrection of the Daleks. Yeah. Talk to me like that all the time. Oh, yeah, she died recently. Yeah, she did. did. Bless her. Bless her. Yeah, but terrible actress. Yes. Well, in that same one, you had... People smoking. You had Rodney Buse, who oh, was the double agent, who, who wanted to be a bit more daring. So his idea of doing that was having a bit of a stutter and having an earring. Didn't really work. Well, no, the for me. stutter was to do with his <laughs> quite like that character. character being a double agent. Yeah. Mm. No, oh didn't, yes, didn't that's right. That was all a little bit too over the top. Mm. I like the idea of the double agent. I like the idea it was him as well because he's quite a soft character in a but lot again, of things he does. like you were saying about Castrovalva before, he was doing the stutter even when he was around people who didn't need to be deceived as to what his character really was. Exactly. This but, is that's, the master. but then yeah. for me, that's okay. You have to do that for the television audience. But it becomes pantomime. It's what, you know, with, what's the name of uh, the, the master's ridiculous character in Time Flight again? What's the... Khalid. Khalid, right? Khalid's in his cave. I feel yeah. we've had a go at this already. Right? And he's there and he's going, wah, wah, ha, 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 with his finger in his mouth, yeah. going, million pounds or whatever. Yeah. And there's no one <laughs> there. No one is <laughs> yeah. looking. He doesn't need his mask on. It reminds on. me of the head but, in um, Cold Lazarus, but, actually. But what's the difference? That's what pantomime does. What's the difference between that and the characters in Alias or Spooks or... Don't know. Telling each other the story at the top of every episode in their meeting. They're with somebody else. <laughs> no, but they are telling. <laughs> it doesn't matter. They're but they are telling but that not... person information that that person already knows, only so that that information can be can given be, over to, to the, the audience. audience. Yeah, but at least it's reasonably credible because you can tell somebody something they might have forgone. Whereas if you're well, in no, your that's kitchen not how it with works. the door closed and you've got a mask on going, I'm going to take over the world. <laughs> and uh, no one's going to recognise me and then you take the mask off and have Maybe a cup it's of my tea. memory cheating, but doesn't he just speak in tongues as well? I'm not sure he even kind of speaks in English exactly while he's my point. He's, got, he's, even, well. he's even speaking. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. <laughs> Gosh, I hate that. But sandwich. this was still at a time when Doctor Who was meant to be seen once and once only. And if you had him <laughs> Shame got taking back. his mask off at the start of the first episode, then you don't get the surprise unveiling of the master halfway through. I don't have a problem with that. It's just a bit of fun for the television audience. Doctor Who's supposed to be fun. So you've got this daft character doing these daft things, and lo and behold, halfway through the story, it's the master. <laughs> so, so the master's so so mad that he even wears a disguise well, yeah. his, in his own do, do, company. Do, 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 do. <laughs> it's the sound of drums making him do it. 
it's that's shit. Retconning. That's what it is. Oh, sorry, that's a bleep, isn't it? <laughs> sorry, that's a bleep. Sorry, sorry, sorry. First bleep. You have to employ yeah. the beepomatic on that one. I'm sorry. We're gonna have a swear box. If it's about a swear Cal- blue box. If it's about Khalid, just yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, next week, let's put Lee back in the box. <laughs> <laughs> now you know why he's With missing Stephen for some of it. That's yeah. what the bleep's for. Um, yeah, all right. Well, I've enjoyed this one. Are we, are we still going? Are we still got time? Uh, well, well, about, well, we should be wrapping up around now. Yeah. I mean, the, these blue box podcasts, Lee, are <laughs> in the region of an hour long. We don't have to stop at an hour. No, it's just that my internal body clock says it's nearly time. Okay, say goodnight then. Oh, all right then. Good night. Right, Simon <laughs> and Mark, let's carry on without him for five minutes because we're still having fun. So anyway, as you were saying, JR. <laughs> well, yeah, quite. No, but seriously, going back to that point, I don't have a problem with characters doing things on screen that they really shouldn't be doing as long as they are doing it for the television audience because it is a television programme and you have to make certain concessions to the audience at home. Like, for instance, as I was saying in Spooks, when they, at the start of the episode, have a meeting where everybody who's in the meeting already knows all the information and they call it up on computer screens and tell it to each other so that the television audience are brought up to speed with the characters. You have to have things like that. So, you have to have concessions yeah, to no, your I audience. Understand. So we're talking the, crossing the fourth wall. Is that how they call it? I, I, just, don't, yeah, I yeah. just don't think you'll have those characters in a- Alias being on their own talking out loud the plot or whatever would they well no they, they you come have up to with... have somebody else That's, that was my beef with Khalid who's on his own well yeah but in you had cave. the same beef in Castroval and talking that was a different well you had the same say. beef with him being in disguise in Castroval I'll tell you who else was a yeah, rubbish actor true. in that go on then Concord Concord <laughs> didn't give off anything <laughs> just that's it's such a oh I don't know the whole <laughs> The whole of those episodes were built around J&T getting hold of a Concord. <laughs> Even I could have written a better story than the one he came up with. All those shambling things called the... the, the... Plasmatons. <laughs> I think they were related to the gel guards, weren't they? I think they were. I yeah, like the gel guards. distant cousins, maybe. I like the gel guards. And I now happy memories I of am calling doctors. time on this episode. Yeah, yeah, Joe's looking enough. hurt. We're laughing against plasmatons. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because I was a huge fan of Time Was no, <laughs> I just told you. I just told you. So I were they related the to the plasmavores then? Plasmavores, plasmatons? Plasmatons. And the plasmavores. Plasmavores? Did you say Plasmavores. <laughs> and I think there was an energy drink at the time called Plasmatonic. But I could just Everything. be making that up. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Is... Um, Lee's going to get into his box. I am. Um, Hang on a minute. Let's just get inside. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Bye. Is Stephen Moffat still in there? <laughs> that was a box made of ceramics. <laughs> Meanwhile, the next next week, the other three of us, without Lee, are going to get together <laughs> and talk about something far more sane. Like DVDs. Sounds like an idea. Right, so I was JR. I was Lee. I so was Simon. And in I your was box. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Good night.